Very few Michiganders actually drive electric vehicles. There's 13,454 electric vehicles in the state. Now, that's compared to 5.8 million internal uh, engine combustion vehicles. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can listen to Michigan in Focus and all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Now here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to Michigan in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network, and you can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. We're recording today's podcast on Thursday, April 28th, 2022. Joining me today is our Michigan reporter, Scott McClellan. How you doing, Scott? Doing good, Bruce. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Getting ready for the weekend, opening day of trout season. I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited. So I know that there's a big fat trout out there with my name on it. So, and how about you? What do you got coming up? I haven't made any plans yet for the weekend, but uh, hoping the good weather will continue. Well, it's a little chilly, but uh, we'll we'll make do. Uh, you got to strike while the iron is less than hot, I suppose. So, hey, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Well, on a national basis, I, I'm sure that um, our cohorts, Casey Harper and uh, Dan McC- Caleb have talked about this somewhat, but uh, I want to get your take on this because you are the author of a book on high tech and social media and what have you. And uh, as a matter of fact, the name of the book is Twisted Tech. And uh, the news is just chock-a-block with people saying uh, Elon Musk is a no good Nick or Elon Musk is the second coming of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, where do you fall on that? Or maybe you can just give us a little bit of a background on it. Because, uh, you know, I know even if you were president of the Elon Musk fan club, you probably wouldn't want to make that readily available to the center square public. Exactly. So the so for years, some background first, for years, uh, People, uh, especially conservatives, have accused Twitter of uh, blatant censorship. And that censorship, uh, they say, takes uh, various forms. One is uh, the platform can just kick people off totally for uh, ridiculous claims. Uh, Another thing is Twitter can throttle or shadow ban accounts, meaning that uh, the person's account who's blocked, uh, that their content is less likely to show up to on other people's timelines. So what well, happened? And, 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 well, yeah, and uh, I mean, it, 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 that's not a, a state secret. I mean, they, they actually did that during the mm-hmm. 2020 election. There was uh, the uh, infamous story of uh, errant laptop that uh, somebody's son left somewhere and uh, the New York Post reported it 
And every person who tried to share that story on Twitter was basically shown the door. And that happened right before the 2020 presidential election, too. So, I mean, the the censorship of these platforms can have a pretty, uh, pretty significant effect on regular people and their decisions. Uh, so this week, Tesla CEO Elon Musk uh, reached an agreement to buy Twitter for about $44 billion. And uh, if you've been on Twitter in the last week, it's uh, it's been more of a dumpster fire than it normally is. And that's saying something. Uh, so a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are vowing to leave to, to leave the platform because uh, Elon now owns it. Um, it's sort of similar to the, uh, you know, if Donald Trump wins the election, I'm moving to Canada kind of thing. So it's, it's interesting because a lot of these critics say, well, billionaires shouldn't have control over social media companies. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of billionaires who own, you know, newspapers, uh, such as the Washington post. And I don't really hear a lot of outcry over that. Right. Well, I just recalled back when uh, one of the Koch brothers, the notorious, infamous Koch brothers, uh, not train robbers, folks, but uh, uh, steel barons, they uh, one of them was considering purchasing the L.A. Times and a close family member was, you know, uh, rending her garments over this and tearing out her clumps of her hair saying how terrible would this be if one of the Koch brothers actually owned a major market newspaper to which I said, well, you know, I, I seriously didn't even think about it, but um, someone has to own the newspaper and make it run and what have you. Uh, politics didn't really play into it for me because if um, I read a newspaper and I find its politics uh, veers in a direction that I don't like, I just move elsewhere. It's called the free market. And uh, two years later, not even two years later, uh, the guy without any hair who started Amazon purchased WAPO and the Washington Post, for those of you who don't get our real cool journalism slang, buys WAPO and no one uttered a word. So um, I don't know. I guess it's uh, your your confirmation bias and uh, what bubble you happen to be operating out of. And a lot of people are hoping that Elon Musk will uh, make more transparent algorithms or he will enact clear standards for some people being banned while other people who appear to be doing the same thing are not banned. So it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. Right. Well, you know, and, and you know, not to make this all about me, but Scott, it's all about me. <laughs> and um, I, I'm a an older guy. I'm a bit of a Luddite. I was not brought up on social media. And when I use social media, basically to say, hey, the new Charles Mingus album I bought is rocking. And, you know, all my jazz friends should, uh, you know, avail themselves of it. Um, I don't do a whole lot of Twitter uh, simply because um, a lack of understanding on my part, uh, a bit of a Luddite in, in, another aspect. So I'm not really sure if this is something that uh, I should lose sleep over or if I should, um, you know, 
do my little celebration dance in honor of uh, that 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 dreamboat Elon Musk. Although I, I gotta I gotta admit it's it's a great name. It is a great name. <laughs> I mean, if, if if you were to pick a name to be easily remembered historically, that works pretty darn well. So, okay, well, let's talk about um, our story stories because uh, we we've lingered a bit on uh, Mr. Musk. Let's talk about another form of technology. We have here in Michigan amazing amounts of money. Another day, another couple of hundred grand thrown at projects that are meant to encourage adoption and building and education and uh, what have you for electric vehicles. And you wrote two stories about that in the last week, and they, they both did considerably well with our readership. So um, talk a little bit about, number one, what is the position, what is the market position of electric vehicles in Michigan, number one, and how much money are we throwing uh, I shouldn't say throwing. How much money are we granting to help this industry? So very few Michiganders actually drive electric vehicles, at least according to data from the Secretary of State's office that says uh, that there's 13,454 electric vehicles in the state. Now, that's compared to 5.8 million internal uh, engine combustion vehicles and uh, just over 100,000 hybrid vehicles. Uh, what was that last one, that last category? Uh, just There's 105,651 hybrid vehicles. Okay, gotcha, mm -hmm. gotcha. All right, well, okay, so there's that's not a lot. Okay, granted. Uh, that doesn't speak to the quality of the vehicle or that the quality that the actual vehicles are not capable of providing all of the benefits that are advertised for those vehicles or, or, or at least claimed. So let's talk a little bit about what are claimed for these vehicles and whether it actually transpires through the purchase and use of EVs. And we can say EVs meaning electric vehicles. I think uh, the listeners would actually appreciate a little bit of shorthand here. So the idea behind the EVs is that the vehicles will be less reliant on fossil fuels and instead can use batteries to store energy. Uh, so the idea is to uh, produce more electricity that is carbon free and that's able to be produced through renewable energies. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. All right. But there's always going to be a caveat here. And that is number one, you, the, these are batteries that store energy. They have to be recharged. And when you recharge these batteries, uh, that has to come from the grid and what provides energy to the grid. Well, we have solar, we have hydro, we have wind, but that doesn't really provide what is known as a base load for, for the grid, meaning that's not what you rely on. The backup for wind when the wind isn't blowing 
the backup for sun when the sun isn't shining, it is always going to be, for the time being, fossil fuels and to some degree, some nuclear energy. There's not a whole lot of that here in Michigan. So if you're burning fossil fuels as backup energy to recharge alternative uh, energy vehicles, you know, so we'll, we'll differentiate between the internal combustion engine, which is fossil fuel. So those are ICE engines and the EVs. Uh, there's still, you're still burning um, quite a bit of fossil fuels in order to power them. But that's not the only thing. And, and you wrote something and you talked to Jason Hayes from the Mackinac Center, who is the environmental director there, pretty sharp guy. And uh, he also talked about the transportation of the rare earth minerals that are required for uh, the EV engines, for the lithium batteries and what, and what have you. Yeah, so uh, the EV batteries require uh, several rare earth minerals that uh, include, uh, you know, lithium and cobalt. Uh, yeah, and cobalt. So the idea is, so it, it depends the, the term like environmentally friendly depends on where you're focusing uh, because electric vehicles in the U.S. require rare earth minerals that are mostly mined from other countries. Uh, so I think so one aspect uh, these experts have told me one aspect of environmentally friendly is how environmentally friendly they are to the location where the rare earth minerals are being mined. And uh Jason Hayes, for example, he he uh, asked Michiganders to consider the full environmental impact of EVs. Um, he said that EVs are promoted as the more enviro environmentally friendly choice because the ratings often only consider CO2 emissions from the tailpipe. Um, but he said that EVs uh, use six times more mineral than conventional vehicles. And those minerals have to be mined, processed, and imported from developing nations. So that requires a lot of transportation and energy costs as well. Sure. And uh, there's a human cost there as well. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you have child labor. Sometimes you have slave labor because these, are, these rare minerals come sometimes from countries that uh, don't have the, the same type of employment laws that we have here in the United States. So, yeah, so I guess what we're looking at is that uh, there still is a tremendous amount of pollutants that go into the inputs of creating EVs. And uh, those are sometimes overlooked in response to the output from EVs. And another thing. EVs have relatively new technology relative to ICE vehicles. So the supply chains, there's a lot of unanswered questions, including uh, one study I wrote a story about said that recycling and storing EV batteries will be a, quote, huge issue because we just haven't developed a lot of technology uh, yet. It's not to the level of uh, ICE vehicles. 
However, there are Ford and GM and a lot of other companies are uh, spending a lot of money to try to improve the battery quality. Okay, yeah, and um, I'm I'm down with that. I mean, mm-hmm. if if I sound a little bit skeptical, it's just because I've. I was a born skeptic, and when you work as a journalist, you necessarily need to be somewhat skeptical, and I might be overcompensating for more than 20 years working in the automotive industry, in uh, automotive communications for the big three. So I'm, I'm not saying that these things, I'm not poo-pooing EVs outright, I'm just saying it let's be realistic here and look at what is, uh, again, what are the inputs? It, it's, it's the same, I guess, when I look at uh, wind turbines. Uh, wind turbines, wind energy could be a wonderful thing. Uh, one of the outputs that they have is light flicker and, uh, and noise. That's, that's one, that's the, what, those are two of the outputs but uh, some of the inputs are also quite frightening. I mean, you you drive across the United States, which I've done on several occasions, and you see semi trucks bringing in the blades for the wind turbines, and it takes a lot of energy to manufacture these uh, the blades for the turbines, and then you have to ship them, and then you have to truck them, then you have to install them, and once you get it up then uh, they're only good for up to 20 years. Now, do they provide a net benefit? Well, I guess I'm looking for the study that uh, would actually say that, yes, it does provide the necessary benefits, then the ROI defeats the, trumps the cost of the environment and maybe killing of birds and and what have you. But you, you have to, you have to ask these questions and sometimes i'm looking at all of the money that is being given out taxpayer dollars that are that are being given out to uh all of these companies to promote all of these environmental initiatives and you kind of scratch your head and say is this really as well thought out as uh we're being led to believe and do you know what happens to those wind turbines after they've met their life capacity? Well, uh, the landfills won't take them. They will not take them. And they're not recyclable, but they have to find some place to actually grind them up in order to dispose of them because <laughs> they, they take up so much space uh, before they're, they're ground up. So, yeah, there there's several states that are actually – because uh, wind turbines have been around for long enough now where some of them are being de- decommissioned and there are landfills that are refusing them outright. And so I guess if you and I wanted to start a business, Scott, we could start our own <laughs> landfill that took only uh, that ground up old wind turbines. Because I'll look for some spots. Yeah, there's. well, we could start with my backyard. But uh <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so that that's just one of the things that uh, needs to be looked at and and considered. So um, l- let's kind of pivot off this topic. And uh, let me ask you, what, what are you working on right now? I'm writing up uh, budget bills for 2023 that are moving through the house right now. Uh, I'm expecting 
the uh, multiple budget bills to be voted on early next week. So I'm just trying to break down all the spending in those. Well, it was rather ominous and foreboding when you, you filed a story yesterday on Wednesday uh, in which you said that it worked out to like a $666 million difference between what uh, the the Senate and the House are, are looking at and what the governor is looking at. But uh, there's always going to be a, a big difference between the two of them. But when that difference is, you know, the dreaded 666, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to think I'm watching a, a scary movie on Netflix. Yeah, I did the math twice on that one just to double check it, but it did not seem well. I think we should light some candles and you know, maybe some sage and some incense and uh, maybe say a rosary <laughs> because it, I don't know. That's pretty frightening, but I'm looking forward to reading what you write on that. And I'm thinking, Scott, I think we're running out of time here. So I think we'll wrap this up for this week. I would like to thank Scott McClellan, who is the Michigan and Minnesota reporter for the center square i'm bruce walker midwest regional editor of the center square and michigan in focus is a production of america's talking network you can find all of the center square's great podcast at americastalking.com that's americastalking.com and until next week scott and i will say good adieu 